Internally, I'm like, man, this still feels like college. This doesn't feel like the thing. It feels like the thing because I can make stuff that I love with my friends. But when I make that folk record with Josh, man, I was like, this is the thing. And the thing is when you're truly expressing what you want to express, and that receives not just listens or money or accolades or television or MTV. It's when people resonate with it and they sing it back. They come to your shows to give a crap about who you are. That's when you're winning. And for me, that's making it. Welcome, everybody, to the Faking, Faking Notes, Notes Podcast. What it do? What it do, everybody? Welcome. Welcome to inviting us to vibrate your eardrums. I am Drew, that viola kid. And, and who are you? I am Trevor Bumgarner. That Trevor Bumgarner. <laughs> oh yeah, on on, uh, on on Twitter is that your new handle? That's what that's my that should be my new handle. <laughs> I'm so excited to have you guys here. This conversation was phenomenal. We have Dylan Witherow here in the Faking Notes podcast proverbial studio. I'm using quotes. The reason why I think you should listen to this is that this is a man who, unlike Trevor and me, didn't go to music school, but he has over 1.1 and growing million monthly listeners on spotify he is able to pay his rent off of royalties of the music he's made he doesn't work another job so he drops so much wonderful wisdom and and procedural thinking and systemic thinking that has led him to this point i think one of my big takeaways too is just how genuine he is and how he approaches things with such a creative mind and a business mind. He looked at the music he wanted to learn. He looked at the people he wanted to emulate and find success with, and he set up a plan and he executed on that plan. This man executes. He goes out and he sticks to it. He supports and brings others along on all of his projects. He just approaches music with such a loving and creative mindset. I was excited to hear like every word that came out of his mouth, and I'm so excited to have him back on at some point. There's so much wealth of knowledge that he has to share with us all. My favorite part of this conversation, it was like a joke where it was like a recreation of a Bad Snacks party. But as I think about it, you know, he was at Bad Snacks birthday parties, just like Dom, just like Dear Evergreen and many of the other guests we've had here. But the the thing that he, that I always felt from him, but he really said, and it made complete sense, he prioritizes being a good person and having real experiences and real relationships with real people. And that is why people fundamentally love working with him. And that's what makes him truly special as an artist. This is Dylan Witherow. So we met via Faking Fam member Bad Snacks yeah. at one of her parties. Was it two years ago? Like she, she has a birthday in September, correct? Her birthday is right before mine, and I'm always jealous because <laughs> <laughs> she gets to party before me. Yeah, but, any, but anyway, I, it was it was an autumn it was an autumn evening. You were there. Uh, Dom was there. Uh, I think I might Trevor have been, came. Yeah, out. I rolled through for like an hour. If it's the one where I met Dom, this is beginning mm-hmm. this party. It's soon to turn out every podcast was at this party. <laughs> was Michaela there? Dear Evergreen was there. Yeah. Yep. Oh, God, yeah. it's starting. No, it's no, this is the thing about Jess. Like, 
Bad Snacks always says she's introverted and she spends a lot of time alone, obviously, because she's like got a prolific amount of incredible work. But I don't think I know someone in L.A. who's more loved. Like she has a party and like everyone is there. So many people. And then I'm like, mm-hmm. I, th- I think I'm going to have people over. Uh, OK, I'm not going to invite you. <laughs> I've met her once and I went to that birthday party. And this yeah. is L.A., folks. Like it's a big deal when you drive to see anyone. <laughs> and I met her once for the podcast. And then went to a birthday party. I've probably known people for like five, six years. And they're like, hey, I'm throwing a big birthday party. I'm like, ooh, I don't know. I'm kind of tired. I'll have been doing projects. I think I'll have a headache that day. But no, she's, in- she's incredible. And I'm, I'm glad through that interaction and her turning a little bit older has led us to you. So thanks for coming on the pod. Yeah, sorry for the, the ramble. I just love Jess so much. She's great. She's amazing. No, big fans. no, please. I love the ramble, and it, it and I echo so many of those uh, sentiments that you shared with us. That she is truly a special individual, and more than anything, she's like really inspiring through her work. And so yeah. I just love having her around. You know, um, my question for you is because I actually have been a fan of yours. And I didn't even know that it was you. <laughs> I, I, I've I've been listening to to lo-fi music for about five years now, real heavy. I've been getting into um, chill hop essentials. I was listening to a bunch of the YouTube playlists, and in doing my research, I realized like you have been like behind some of these chill hop essentials music, and I had no idea. I just wanted to say thank you for coming on. Like, I didn't even know I was such a big fan until now. And my first question was like, how did you get into music in general? I don't really know your story in that way. So this is why Bad Snacks is such a special, important person to me. It's just like a friend and like a guiding light. Um, We have similar stories that we come from like folk music. So I come from a small town in Washington state where basically... I loved all sorts of whatever, eclectic. Everyone's an independent, like really independent person. Nobody really plays with each other unless they're playing like jam band, Grateful Dead, or like folk music. <laughs> so like hey, Washington. The only thing you can do if you want to play in public and it's not at church is you you just play folk music or jam band music. And I was like, dog, I can't jam with like these like 55-year-old shredders. They're too good. They they play like jazzy things and I don't know harmony. So I just I just like Air fell quotes. in with the folk people Quotes. and I've got like a, a deep, deep old man voice. And so I just like became like a folk singer and player. And that's how I, I like dropped out of college to be in a band up there and Whoa. had a lot of support from the community and did really well for like five years. My story is pretty random, but basically like I was touring nationally doing house shows and stuff with that band. And that was like everything I did. Um, then Instagram started to like happen for me, but like earlier than everyone else who Instagram kind of happened for. Mm-hmm. So there were no other like guitar players on Instagram. I was just like, yo, my girlfriend's mad sick with a camera. And we just like took some like DSLR for <laughs> <Yeah>. videos. <laughs> and then like I started getting in with gear companies and I love those people who have supported me. Um, shout out people like Caroline Guitar Company, Chase Bliss Audio, Benson Amps. Those people have just like supported me through so much. Robert Keeley. And, and those people kind of like started to usher me into, they brought me to Nam and started ushering me into like real boy land, but mm-hmm. from like the vendor half. And I was like 22 and I was like, this kind of feels weird. Like it's me and all these guys who have businesses, but I don't have a business. I'm just like a guitar player chilling and none of them <laughs> even know I sing. And so I just kind of like did that for a while. And then everyone else started popping on Instagram. And I met like Sam who like lo- was launching pickup jazz at that time, transcribing some of my stuff. Mm-hmm. And around the time that everyone 
that I'm friends with started like blowing up on Instagram, I kind of stopped posting altogether and like was like, I'm just going to do real boy music. Then my band <laughs> broke up. <laughs> Dude, then my band broke up and the joke was Instagram was the real boy music. And the people that I'd met there, I just moved to LA because my sister was here. Shout out Paige. And I just like stayed on her couch for, I kid you not, like six months. And people from Instagram that were homies just like got me gigs. And then I just didn't leave. Now I've been here for three and a half years. And um, <laughs> I think since I got here, it's been a, a I was just like a folk musician and producer there. I've been reinventing myself so aggressively. So the lo-fi thing, when I met Jess, it was one of the first times I'd heard of just instrumental hip hop music at all. Like really, like, people, people like people talked about like Jay Dilla and stuff, but I'm like super like mountain folk boy. <laughs> yeah, you know. So like I was listening to this yeah. music and I was like, Jess, I don't know what this is, but it's really cool. <laughs> and like her reinventing herself from being a folk musician as well, mm-hmm. who sang to being this bad snacks thing i was like man that's so inspiring i just want to do that but like with my singing project so i'm in the middle of that because uh this guy blue wednesday just like one time we, he's like a good homie i played on one of his tracks and he decided to not like pay me to play on the track as a session boy like in la when i play for pop artists he he like brought me on as an artist which i was like that's really Whoa. generous and i got like a split of the song and he like put my name on a it milestone and then it came out in, on chill hop essentials and promptly smashed the streaming numbers of anything i'd ever released and I was like, ah, what Whoa. do I do now? It's like, <laughs> like, like, it's like in the hundreds of thousands of plays, everything I've released is in the tens of thousands or thousands of plays. I'm like, I don't know what to do. And I called my friend Kyle uh, and he was just like, dog, you should just like lean in. Lean so in. Lean in. <laughs> yeah. Let's go. I think that's the moral of the story uh, for yeah. almost everyone we've had come on is like yeah. venturing out into new areas or just taking what you do and just it's, it's the Patrick Star SpongeBob mean and. We just take what we do here and put it over put there. Put it over there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's what it, so I took. It worked. It yeah, worked. so I took like folk production knowledge that I'd been like, and at that time I was already producing for like Rayleigh Nicole and like Emily Albert, Lizzie McAlpine. I like took that knowledge and they were like, yo dog, just like send me some stems and we'll just make some sick shit. And I was like, sorry for swearing. And I was like, no, what? No, no, it's okay. Every episode's my, But I'm just yeah, like, swear. I'm just like, dude, I don't. Okay. So I like tried to figure out what they wanted and did that at first and I spent the entire year this year learning the history of the genre to respect it, probably working with 60 or 70 people and then just collaboratively, and then worked on this record that's coming out in April that I started in January. And I've never spent that long on an instrumental body of work. And I just mm-hmm. mastered it last week. Wow. Sent it to Congrats. the label, signed it. Can we get the exclusive? <laughs> Have you talked about it yet? Uh, no, I, I've, I haven't talked about it because I don't really talk about, that's the other thing. I don't talk about lo-fi very much yeah. publicly just because it's like, it's super dope and I'm really proud of where I'm going, but I feel like everything I released is like a step towards that, that record, which I'm really proud of. That's awesome. I think you're, I think you're being really, really modest. Faking fam, Dylan is the shit straight up. <laughs> like if you go to Spotify and look at his monthly listeners, he has one over 1.1 million monthly listeners. This is not like it. W- I'm, are you trying to take over the world, bro? How is this a small step? You know, like, <laughs> like how big are the steps you're trying to take? You know, I really think that you and and everybody here, you have so much wealth of experience and knowledge in the space of putting yourself out there uh, and putting your work out there and, and garnering a support for that. And I just had a few questions about that. Would you be interested in talking yeah. about that with us? Uh, of course. Our listenership 
we tend to have like uh, listeners who are from a broad range of creative spectrums, but many of them tend to be people who are thinking about going into school for music, people who are possibly going to, into uh, leaving college and like co- contemplating an entrepreneurial path as a musician, right? These are things that are kind of difficult for us to figure out how to cultivate, especially uh, if you go the traditional route. So you dropped out of school. So you, yeah. you didn't go to music school. No. What was that experience like, man? Because like Trevor and I are Juilliard trained musicians yeah. and many of our We have a lot of are, debt, student loan debt. So we're, uh, bro, we're trying to figure oh, that out. So like, so, what's, what's not having bullet. that like? <laughs> I, I've never been in debt in my entire life. What? I've never been in any kind of debt. I got a credit card when I moved to LA so that I could get an apartment and move off my sister's couch. But I was also so poor then that like I'd use it to like buy like $10 worth of things until my credit score was like existed at all. There you go. <laughs> and then I like moved into like the literally the worst apartment I could possibly find, but it was very cheap <laughs> with some mm-hmm. like homies who'd been here a long time. And then like, mm-hmm. I'm still fixing it up. We literally painted a room today. <laughs> <laughs> and laid down a carpet in this room that's going to be the second studio because me and my one roommate now are just like making it sick, making it sick. Um, but th- sorry, yeah. the debt thing. So, is the question the what was it like dropping out? What was it like growing your career? Because you said you went and joined a band. What was the name of the band? Uh, I don't talk about it a lot, oh, but essentially it was. It here's why. So, I've been. I had friends in high school who are still the best musicians I know. I wasn't the best. I'm from a very small town, 20,000 people. We're three hours from Seattle. We're in a national park. Literally, my mom's house is one mile from the entrance. I can see Canada from my dad's, like the bedroom from my dad's house that I grew up in. It was just rural, man. I looked at the whole world Mm -hmm. through glass. I was on one side of the window. I was just talking with my friend Loive last night, and it's like, she was like in all of these places. She's so international. She's like, I grew up in New York. I grew up in DC. I grew up in Iceland. I, I spent the summer in London. And for me, I'm like, that is the ultimate iteration of life. Cause I grew up on one side of, of the glass. And like, mm-hmm. for me, it was always like, what can I do to make it out of this? Mm-hmm. And, and then all of my friends that I grew up with were just insanely talented. They're still so brilliant. Some of the best people I know. And they're, and I talked to this guy, Cole and, Growing up, and he was just like, man, because you're always talking about what do you want to do for a living when you're in, in high school? You're like studying. We're like, we're both 4.0 students. I'm like the mm-hmm. freaking ASB president. Uh, <laughs> I wasn't into yeah. singing. I got into choir because like my teacher like walked into my like Spanish class and was like, Dylan, I heard you sing. And I was like, nah, dog. And then she was like, you're going to audition. And then like I did it. Like, <laughs> two years later, I was the choir president. <laughs> Basically, Cole was just like, I couldn't imagine doing anything else. And I just like grabbed his mantra, absorbed it and became his mantra, like even more so and more aggressively in corporate than him. I guess he's still fully a musician. He just goes about it in a much less commercial way than me. But I grabbed that and I was like, man, you're right. I I couldn't do anything else. Um, So I come from like, I'm like a fourth generation log truck driver who like drove in Alaska with my dad. Wow. That's like familially like where I come from. And music is all I've ever wanted. And my mom's mom went to Juilliard actually. And she passed when I was really young. But I feel like there's some sort of draw that's always been there. So when I started being in a band, sorry, I just talk a lot, but no, when, when, that's what this is for. Speak your truth, bro. 
When I started being in a band, I knew when I was 18, I wanted to do it. And I felt like I had like one year left. It's over if I don't make it now because Justin Bieber made it as like a child prodigy. I didn't think about it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Me too, bro. The milestone. Like, even, dude, the- even like, let's talk about like not child prodigy bands. Like Paramore, like how old was yeah. Lily Williams? 15? Oh so I'm like, God. I'm like, dog, like my friends won't be in a band with me. This is lame. And so I was dating this girl. <laughs> She's like the best singer I've, I knew. And we just like started this band. And I, I like, I knew I had like two bands to pick between. And it was like, I was going to play music with her. or I was going to play music in like a rock band. And I was like, dog, honestly, my girlfriend's pretty lit. And so I just like played like fingerstyle, folky, tappy stuff while teaching guitar lessons at this music school and kids and elderly people. Mm-hmm. Not like, cause I didn't really know what I was doing. And she... Mm-hmm. And I would sing like really complex harmonies. And I just learned through teaching and I learned through playing with her and I was doing school and I was paying for school cash out of my own pocket. What? Ooh. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, so I got accepted to like, like Belmont and Nashville and I saw the, the price. Yeah. Ah, dog. Nah. So I, I just like saw like the Juilliard type price tag and I was like, Dah. but I wasn't as good as you guys. I was just like, eh. so I went home and I wasn't like good. I was just like really ambitious and I didn't mm-hmm. pull anything off. I didn't understand like deep musicality. I would just like try things. I think what makes music great is execution. You could play the simplest thing in the world, but if you play it musically, it could be brilliant and it can make people cry. So if you're playing a G chord and it sounds just musical and brilliant and beautiful, then you won. But if you're playing like crazy shit and you're pulling off like 75% of it, then you sound, you sound like you don't know what you're doing. And so that was me. I was like, and I like, I like wasn't in time. But then when I was like 18, 19, I was like teaching these kids and like these elderly people. And I was like, you've never, you don't know how to count to four. I need to learn how to count to four to teach you how to count to four. Now I can play a time. <laughs> and um, basically when that, me and uh, me and that, that lovely lady broke up, she just like, we were going different places in life. Yeah. Um, I'm sorry. I was just like, that. oh no, it's, it's great. It was probably the best thing that I dated her and the best thing that we broke up. She just like, she's so happy and married and stuff. And I'm like killing it um, as far as like my own <laughs> dreams. You are but basically it, what happened is like, I just got hella depressed and moved to LA, lived with my sister and, and this all happened. Um, so the musical journey was I was in this band and I think there are two types of bands. They're the internet viral thing. There's like the, I pushed it commercial. I did the thing on the industry scale. Mm-hmm. And then there's like the, I'm in an indie band. I have CDs. I sell them. I play local shows. I build a fan base very naturally. And sometimes that works out, but it's a lot harder and I saw it not working out. So I just like did that for five years and it paid Mm -hmm. my rent. But I was like, this is never going to give me a million of anything. Mm -hmm. And so when I moved here, that was always in the back of my head, but I was too depressed to like be Dylan, the singer artist, man. So I just like got gigs playing sideman stuff. This guy, Lineo, who's just an amazing mentor of mine, got me my first time playing with people. And then Juan Ariza introduced me to India Carney, who was like my first in LA gig. I just worked with her. She is the most brilliant, wonderful incredible soul and um, I, I love her already. she changed my life so playing with her just meant people knew me and then i like started playing with pop people like i've played with louis tomlinson from one direction and i'm playing with sophia carson right now who's just amazing and wow. that's cool but like that's not like my full iteration of life and so i've always been on the scope i want to be an artist this hustle is in me like you guys have the hustle you're doing this podcast playing for people is like sick and i like want to play arenas so like hopefully that happens but the art thing, I was like, man, I don't have a band. I'm not singing because I'm like hella depressed, kind of. Mm-hmm. And um, the lo-fi thing just happened. And so I just mega ran with it. And I put out like 30 songs as Dylan this year. And then also I have a, another moniker called Zarina Frost that has like 100,000 monthly listeners. And that's just acoustic guitar stuff. And I put out 47 songs this year. Or, oh, no. 47 songs since it started. I put out five today I didn't know about. So 52. 
And I also like play for other people and produce. Going through your Spotify and I'm like, 2020, 2020, 2020, 2020. Yeah, what this was the year, on? man. <laughs> this was the first year. This is the first year I feel like I reclaimed depressed Dylan who was living on a couch in LA and like money is, I'm not rich, but I feel like stable. Um, shout out government unemployment. And I. <laughs> That's a huge feeling though. I mean, there's so many things we're going to like circle back to and touch on, which is brilliant. But even just the idea of stability and another word you used before execution to be able to like yeah. execute on all these ideas and like that's something we've noticed with a lot of like our recent successful guests in all their different ways is that everyone went through some journey and kind of alludes to you know your hero's journey that dark darkest night yeah. of the soul or whatever depression going throughout trying something in one avenue dropping out of school like we've what's kind of nice is we kind of we've heard this like cycle repeated with so many yeah. people who are now finding success that probably what led to that success was that <laughs> kind of that that wandering that su that suffering and it's really paid off and like just with my own story and same with like drew something that resonated with me growing up in a rural area so my yeah. i was on east coast rural which is a very different thing than like midwestern <laughs> or west coast rural i can hit a city in one direction in an hour and a half but i also always felt outside looking in and Huge. i didn't grow up with um, a musical family at all and I think that led to my benefit because I wasn't too tired of it by the time, say, music school runs around. Yeah. Uh, I hadn't had lessons. <laughs> I didn't know what didn't know what the hell was going on. And I could play, like you said, I could play very technically, but I could not hang with anyone because yeah. I didn't I didn't get it. I had to like figure that out later. But I think yeah. growing up with that like outside looking in mentality is like served me better. So you've gone out, you've executed specifically what is neat that I think Johan Lennox, one of our guests, did with classical music. Jesse, with her background in folk, her interest in jazz. All of our- Dear Evergreen. Dear Evergreen, with the Christmas tree farm and, and like all these other things where people who are coming in and bringing their skills elsewhere and then really like leaning in and running with it. It's super awesome to hear about you know, someone with such an extensive folk background getting into like- Lo-fi. Lo-fi <laughs> and like chill stuff and all these other things. And you play with soul, bro. You play Thank with you. soul. I, when you said like playing something simply like a G major chord as beautifully as a G major chord can be pl played, bro. You play like that. You play like you wish you could sing and you do sing. So it's it's really awesome to hear how musically intuitive you are as well. Thank you. What exactly do you see yourself bringing from folk into lo-fi? Dude, okay, so this is the crazy thing. I feel like my career actually has, like, four branches. Okay. Mm -hmm. Break it down. Take it. Take so, us on the journey. Branch one is Dylan the singer-songwriter. And I'm going to start releasing music as that again next year. I, I just started a band with my friend Josh, and I made the EP. It's the, the piece of music I'm the most proud of I've ever made or worked on in my entire life. I can't wait to hear it, bro. And that is Boy. circling back to what I am in my heart and what I was when I was 19 and making good on it. And that band's called Glass Cell, Josh Jacobson's who, who it's with. And I'll be releasing my solo music as Witherow. And then it'll also be tagged in Glass Cell. That is who I feel like I am. 
And the way to artistically express that, I had to learn how to produce. But I don't produce the way that Bad Snacks does. I don't go like, I'm like, I'm like, oh, let's place the microphone perfectly in the room because I don't want to pay to go to a studio again because I paid twelve grand when I was nineteen to record my first record, and it took so long to pay back on it. Best studio in in Seattle. It was incredible. I learned so much, but I was also nineteen, and I I didn't know what a good record was. Twelve thousand. And then I did another song after that that was like six thousand. Wow. That was with like Michael Brower, who mixed for like Coldplay and John Mayer. I was like so ambitious out of what my audience wanted. And then like that song made me $7 and I spent seven grand on it. <laughs> so I learned how to record Killing so I could ROI. make my honest folk music. Right. So that's, that's iteration one. And then I feel like uh, Emily Albert, when we were hanging, she was just like, yo, Dylan, like I, I want to make this record. I can't. And I was like, I kind of know how to record. I'll come over. And I just like produced her record, but just like on a whim. And then I wound up producing. Rayleigh Nicole's record because of that. And then when I was chilling with Rayleigh, I was doing live sessions for pickup music. And then she was just like, yo, you should do Lizzie's song for Lizzie. And I was like, yeah, Lizzie's sick. So then I like hit up Lizzie and I was like, Lizzie, I want to record a song. Then I like did a song on her record, which is like one of my favorite things I've ever worked on. I did one for India Carney, kind of in the same vein. And then I also, it's not out yet. And then I just did one for um, Loi V. Lin, who's incredible but like i was just hanging with her and she showed me a demo and she's like hey i just like i don't know if my my demo's like doing it and i was like dog like i don't know it's like let's go to my house and see what happens and like the song's really special as well but the, every single time i've produced for people mm-hmm. which is like part two of, of my career yeah it is literally just because i have part one and i was like oh dog you're also an artist who i deeply love and respect mm-hmm. and i just want to like help you bridge the gap that i spent like 20 grand trying to bridge mm-hmm. and then after that uh, and threw that 20 grand into a trash can. And then, um, <laughs> no, I feel like- actually, can I, can I jump in here for just a quick second? I've recently been discovering just like different ways of thinking about money. And that $20,000, you should think about it like education, bro. Yeah. Like I've, I've like, that's your student loan so debt. Much money. That's, yeah, my student- <laughs> that's, my, that's my student loan. That wasn't a bad investment. That yeah. was an investment in my education, right? I feel like it's paying off now. Yeah. yeah. It's paying dividends, bro. Dividends. Yeah. So then I feel like the third one is totally random. It's just because I'm like good at guitar, but I feel like because I didn't go to music school, I grew up an alien musically. I never went and conformed. The first time I played with people who were good was here. Uh, I mean, that wasn't folk. Good music mm-hmm. that wasn't folk. First time I played music that was good and wasn't my favorite music. Mm-hmm. I started getting gigs here. Like even India, she's kind of like got that songwriter vibe because she's such a good songwriter. So like I got her energy. I was like, yeah, this is natural. But then I like got put in like this very cool, like Alan Stoney band with like, uh, I had like Rob Humphreys on drums, Corey Keys, Corey Fels Jr. on, on keys. And I had like my favorite bass player, Tyler Carroll playing bass. And I was like, oh, I can't play in time. <laughs> <laughs> and like, so the then feel. that like, yeah, they were so good. So then like Sideman Land like benefits everything else, but it feels like almost like I view LA like college. I call this senior year because it's my fourth year. I'm going oh, in every year. And, and and I feel like all of those gigs with people like Tyler, it it I was just always like, if LA pays for itself and I don't wind up homeless, I'm just gonna stay here and not go home and live with my mom again. So it's still I'm still able to pay my rent with just music, no side hustle. And like when I was like doing those gigs and sometimes it was very hard and I showed up and I didn't know how to prepare for gigs because I didn't know what a gig was. I was just mm-hmm. like, you guys view music very weird. It's very, it's weird. <laughs> and so I was like, what? You're just like getting a couple hundred bucks. You're just going to like shred music. You don't care about. That's very strange. And so like I had to learn that was like ensemble class. 
I'm getting better. So I'm getting into better ensembles. That's essentially how I feel about like the pop gig thing. And then four, the lo-fi thing was like, it borrows from all of that because I wouldn't have the feel if I didn't have the sideman gigs. And I wouldn't understand the deeper music if I hadn't played with all the guitar players from Pickup and all my homies here in LA. And I wouldn't understand recording and I wouldn't be unique without that songwriter background. And so when I started working on the lo-fi stuff, I just was like, oh, I'm going to channel what I think hip hop is. And then as I learned more about the genre and I was working with people, one day, Blue Wednesday was just like, dude, just send me what you play. I don't want you to do like your hip hop Mm -hmm. jazz impression. You don't need to send me seven chords. You don't need to send me nine chords. You don't need to send me complex harmony. Mm -hmm. A couple other people in the scene do that beautifully. Mm -hmm. Chris Mazaware is one of them. He's incredible. And I was just like, dog, like he has a strong voice because he loves that music. Mm-hmm. And so I just started like, that's why I love the record that's coming out in April. I just started playing folk music, man. I love it. I made, I made a folk record with a bunch of my hip hop producer homies. Oh, that's what shit. Dude, it, this, this sounds is, fire, man. I'm, I'm so ready for this. This like taking particularly not just genres, but really yourself and just like putting it into a different vein is the win-win across the board. And it's like, it's how we get unique things. It's not sitting down there like, I want to create something unique. If you're going to sit down and try to do that, it's not going to happen. Like that, you know, instead, well, what are my interests? Like, what is my voice or whatever? And trying to mix and match stuff. Like, it's like what you're doing is like creating, you know, creating something beautiful by bringing in folk. You know, it's, it's almost curation in a sense. It's like you're curating folk music in a different way. I have a theory that every producer is good at like three things. Play every producer. They're like, they're like producers who are good at vocals. They're producers who are good at drums. And, and, and they're usually not good at both. If you're good at both, <laughs> you're probably working with Dua Lipa or something. This is, this is genuinely, I think everyone, like you were saying, has two tricks that might be like their unique thing. They may not even be able to explain them. It's just like how they understand music and how they interpret it. And when you learn how to become exponential with that and apply it to everything else, all of a sudden it's like someone walks in... When I'm working with people, I, I don't know what their like their musical background very well. I always get like a little nervous, especially if I'm producing like Louis V. I was like, oh man, you're very like a th- things that I love but am not familiar with. And then I was just like, dog, I'm just gonna like call my friend Josh to like shred some keys. I'm gonna Rick Rubin this. I'm not gonna pretend <laughs> to be a jazz pianist. <laughs> By doing that, though, just the way that I hear engineering. I was able to to apply my sound to it, even though I actually made her play all the instruments. I don't play guitar on any of the productions that I've done, except for, I did like a, in the background of the really song. <laughs> wow. And then like, I played all the guitars on the India Carney one. Cause she's like a vocal shredder and she doesn't play guitar, but she's not like a guitar player. Mm-hmm. All the girls that I produced for, I was just like, yeah, you should probably play this. I, I'm not really, you know, I, uh. <laughs> yeah. So, but yeah, if, I think if everyone has like those two tricks that like are from their roots or from their place, that's how you keep your authenticity. Otherwise you're just going to be like a crappier version of someone you love that's bar that's facts man like that's that's one of the reasons why i'm i moved to la i wanted to be in the studios as a recording artist with non-classically centered players i wanted to learn more about other styles of music and i knew that my ability to play viol would be an asset that would also differentiate myself from the market i'm really interested about your development as a musician, see, because like the the way that I produce music and the way that I, I do gigs, I remember yeah. you said very recently just now, like, uh, I didn't really understand gigs. I didn't understand like this thing. And I come from the opposite, the opposite spectrum where it's like you're given the music 
you are supposed to play it exactly like this. You're supposed to do it perfectly on the first take because look, we're on somebody else's dime. Wow. So I'm wondering, how did you begin to develop to develop your cho- your chops when it comes to practicing? Because I know how to practice as a classical musician, but honestly, when it comes to jazz and folk and other styles, I don't know what the procedure is. Do, could you shed some light on that? Dude, first of all, I've always thought you are a brilliantly interesting person because you come from that, but you are so clearly an artist. And I feel, I feel like you can't become an artist. I, I mean, people, people like there's artist development, like you learn how to express yourself better, but some people just are. And I feel like you are, and I feel like it's been so interesting to see you come from this specific background, but clearly have so much to express that is within and outside of that. Um, so I guess that's that's why gigs have always been like insane and me having to be disciplined is because I am that. I come from that. Mm. I didn't cover music. I didn't learn other people's songs correctly, mm. ever. Not mm. the whole thing. My mom used to complain. She'd be like, Dylan, you just learned the riff you like. You never learned the whole song. And I was like, <laughs> I would only learn the guitar solo. I've talked about that with Drew. Like, I was a useless guitarist because, you know, well, well, someone would be like, hey, will you play this, like, cool yellow card song? And I'd be like, "Uh, how about just the solo from Metallica's one? And you're like, no no one ever wants wants that. (laughs) Dog, and my friends in my hometown were way more popular because they knew the songs. I I didn't know the songs. Like the senior talent yeah. show, I'm like, okay, here's my version of Van Halen eruption. <laughs> like, no one, no one cares. Like, no one, no one cares. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Please and, stop. Yeah, it's just like you play Incubus. Incubus, you're way cooler than uh, Van Halen's eruption. <laughs> Dog. Yeah. So, so when I, I I've learned like four solos correctly ever. <laughs> Everything else I've learned is just like me being like, oh, that one band in the solo was cool, and then I did the one band until my mom wanted to kick me out of the house. <laughs> <laughs> My development was so random until I had to learn songs because I was teaching this like kid who could play anything. This, this kid, Quinn Leach, he just like started just like could play everything that I taught him. And like, wow. I just like had learned drifting by Annie McKee for myself. I was like 18 or 19. Oh my God. So kid. one of my questions was, so I, I listened to uh, some of the, like the Orangewood singles and I have it written down here. Have you listened to Candy Rat Records or question mark? Oh, like, dog. Because it Obviously. sounds right in there. Like right when I first heard, that was the very first thing uh, I listened. The skill and the finesse you have uh, across the like the fretboard. It took me back to the year 2007 or whatever. When yeah, dog. early YouTube, Candy Rat Records, Annie McKee, and just experiencing that type of exp- expressive virtuosity. So beat me to the question. <laughs> Can we can we talk about something like one of the most insane nights of my life? Like I've had I've had a handful of like, moments right like like last year my most la moment ever or second most la moment ever i met bonavere my hero legend wow number one in my heart it's like top listen to artist every single year on spotify it's it's almost unhealthy (laughs) i met him because one of my best friends builds amps and he he chris benson i think they're the best amps in the world guitar amps and and Justin uses them and like we went and they were super nice and we like wound up like stuck in a garage and like walked out of the garage after the show and like Justin was just there eating like a burrito. <laughs> and he was that like, yeah, like have a burrito. So we just like we're eating a burrito after this arena show with him. And I was like, this is the craziest moment of my entire life. And I missed an audition in LA the next day because I missed my flight because I was like hanging out with Justin Vernon in Portland eating a burrito. <laughs> oh my god um, but the candy rat thing so one of the other crazy moments for me uh the first pickup show ever was right after my band broke up sam blakelock emily browning they were just like emily c browning they were just like dog you still got to come play the show that we were going to have in 
in New York. And I was like, you got to take my name off the bill. And then Emily couldn't have her name on the bill because she was playing Rockwood and it was the first time in the States. So we were just like, okay, we'll call it a pickup music secret show. <laughs> and I met Mike Dawes and Pliny on the roof the night before that. And Mike Dawes came and I was like, dog, like Candy Rat Records was my jam. And I like learned all that stuff when I was like 19 teaching yeah. Pliny Leach how to like play guitar. Cause I would like learn the song. I'd spend like 10 hours like barely learning it and then i just like start breaking it down for quinn like this is the percussion this is the left hand this is the right hand Bam. that kid would have it like Bam. two days after i learned it so i like really had to hustle those years Whew. and so then like meeting mike and him just being like dog like you play like me can i like play also at this show and i like handed him my guitar which was borrowed and not sick and he just like also played and i was like this is the craziest moment of my life <laughs> and that was like right when i moved to la and i was like ah um, so that's that's a big part of it. But basically, like my my learning has been that it's always out of necessity. I, and and like when I'm playing guitar, I just sit around and like do dumb things for hours. And the only time I fully express ideas is when I have to for gigs. Uh, now, because that's mm-hmm. when I get like my formal practice. They're like, you're being paid to go to to college right now. Please <laughs> shred an Eddie Van Halen style solo for uh, Sophia Carson. And I like think about specific techniques and I work on them because I'm like obsessive. So I like do one technique all night when my friend shows me something that I'm like, this is sick. But like, but I never like formally, like I want to do the more classical thing and practice huge passages, but I don't want to do it on guitar. Actually. I like my guitar playing. I want to do it on piano. I'm terrible at piano. I respect it. Like when I was working on this, this track this week, um, I just called my friend, Josh, my best friend. He's also just a genius. He popped in and he just like knows Chopin and he knows jazz and he knows contemporary and he knows my music because we've done so many songs together. So I was like, Hey, I'm producing. That's a real piano. I'm going to mic it up. And you just like do the thing. And he like bridged the gap between me and Loive. And it was just like, what he did was just like genius the first time. And it was because he had the repertoire knowledge to be able to communicate with her about what she wanted. So for me, that's why I want to learn repertoire. So anyways, that's, that's your, I feel like I've tangentially just like lost the focus of the question, but for that, me I mean, that's, that's on brand for the podcast. This is a uh, collection of tangents, but no, no, like, I just, I just think that's hilarious that, yeah, my very first observation just about your music is it is embedded in that because that's a it's yeah. a somewhat similar backstory to me. Just in high school, I was very big into guitar before I started to go into the land of classical. And since I've since returned to it, looking at for both of us, looking at like that kind of the appeal and interest of like that virtuosity is something raw. Uh, you mentioned I see tons of value in working with just like Drew. I went through the classical thing. But I wanted to return to doing other things, musicals, film, theater, pop, rock, you name it. And my most enjoyable, like creative experiences have always been in collaboration with someone with a different background or with that that other expertise. But it seems like you two have just managed to kind of like bump into and surround yourself with like incredibly skilled people who have different experiences. And it's the combination of everyone in that collaboration that like makes something beautiful forming your super team uh, with people like, as you mentioned, who, you know, they've got their, you know, two or three things down really well. Um, so it's neat yeah. to see and hear kind of continuously, like we're human. We've made it this far. Uh, <laughs> let's see how much longer we can make it. But as a species <laughs> by Dude. working together and yeah. like c- collectivizing the things we do, it seems like that's kind of coming out in your art, in your art yourself. Also, when you mentioned your four kind of tracks, of yourself, your four branches, it seems like you yourself are your own collaboration that you're bringing to the table. Dude, I, I feel like, so before this, we were talking like 80, 20, like you give all, all your effort, like 80% of the time, and the 20%, you can kind of chill. Dog, I'm like 98 
And then like, I murdered myself and I sleep for five days. So I'll do like, like this full disclosure. So one, I just, I feel like I needed to talk about music school for a second. The reason I didn't go was pretty random and kind of personal, kind of not personal. I feel at a huge disadvantage in pop for a long time because I didn't, but now I'm meeting people who just got it. And like the only way to do well in, in whatever area you want to do is to do that thing. And so like the reason I'm a good producer is not because I even asked, I've never asked to produce someone except for Lizzie at like literally zero times. And I just like have wound up doing it because it's a skill that I have because I do it. And so like, if you want to play with people, you just got to like play with your friends and like learn stuff. But if you want to learn jazz and you want to learn classical, you have to play jazz and you have to play classical and going to music school is a great place to learn those or to meet people who are going to be your team and you can like break into it younger. So I feel like that was like, I feel at a huge disadvantage, but I also feel like, so I feel like as a sideman, as a producer, it's a huge weakness as a producer and as an artist, it's a huge strength because I sound like myself. I think there's something even more to that. I love working with people who haven't gone to music school because they yeah. just see things so differently. And I remember there's there was some funny with Chris Hendricks, just a good friend. He's like not yeah. famous. He did the singer-songwriter thing, you know, gives away his rights to his music when he was young. Those things are doing well. It gets buried, mismanaged, all these other things. He's such, you know, he's, he's homeless. He's He's got a cerebral palsy. He's got just such an insane life. But I remember when we were first meeting and interacting and you know there was this like <clears throat> the allure of music school and yeah. i'm sitting i'm like i can't hang with him i'm like he is a much better musician than i ever was be just because of like what i'm witnessing and i had to just remind him be like yo like music school is just a very expensive <laughs> uh like business card or whatever like it's it's a little data point music itself is like this lifelong journey and this continuous process music school it gives you some things like while it helps the thing I noticed, particularly about actually leaving New York and coming to L.A. Yeah. And like I'm I'm not a film composer fully, but I do maybe 30 percent of my output is in the film world. And I like it because of the variety of the type of genres and bringing it together. And it's a great way to collaborate with people. But like Ludwig Gordson, he, he just won an Oscar. He did the Black Panther score. He mm -hmm. did the show New Girl. He's doing The Mandalorian. But he's Witten's also like producing. Like oh, dude, I love his The he's, Mandalorian soundtrack is unbelievable. It's I just so watched great. a video about it. So I haven't even Winston seen it. Winston played on it, bro. Yeah. So Winston my point, played on it. He's playing the, like this dude has made the recorder cool. Like, like what a, what a legend. And so he he's coming in there and, you know, everyone else, uh, as you'd assume, would be like, okay, it's Star Wars, the shadow of John Williams. What are we going to do? We need this big classical thing. And so I just watched this like 10 minute little video about the theme of the Mandalorian. And yeah. he shook that. He's like, I just wanted to get instruments that were like close and personal of my childhood and experience of, watch of watching Star Wars. And he's bought a bunch of freaking recorders and he was gonna, you know, play all this other thing. But so Star Wars, I wouldn't think like recorders, Tom, Keys, Mellotron, like all these other things. And yet fucking did it. And it's, it's awesome. It's him playing on it. And it's super creative because he's coming in with a different mindset. He's coming in with that producer's mindset. He didn't like limit himself. Oh, it's Star Wars. It needs to be this. Uh, he sneaks it in there at the end. Him not coming through those like thought of so-called sacred traditional steps is why he's so successful. It's why it feels unique. It's why 
people are so interested in that. And it's a dude, probably lots of weed, and his recorders. And here we are. <laughs> so funny. <laughs> yes, shout out to the recorders. <laughs> um, so funny. One one thing that I wanted to maybe create another branch towards is um, this Mandalorian thing. If you think about it from a marketing perspective, I wanted to ask you uh, from a marketing perspective, Dylan, um, when you're creating your music, do you have a specific audience in mind? Do you have a specific like uh, marketing plan for it? Uh, and I also wanted to tack on to that too. Um, cause I'm, I'm interested in tactics right now. Like I, I want 2021 for me personally to be something that is, uh, a, a year where I just execute in spite of what's going on in the world, just focusing and honing in. Do you have a system? Yeah. Uh, for creating your content? Uh, do you have a marketing strategy? I'm curious to hear your perspective on that. Dude. So when I was in my band, we had a manager for a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was like an unofficial, you know, he was like our acting manager mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, he'd gotten a few of my friends from my hometown, these insane deals. And to me, a deal with a major was like, that's making it. like we talk about what I'm doing and we're like, wow, like I'm doing some things that are cool. Like, but, but really, if I look at it from like childhood Dylan's ambition brain, I'm playing guitar for the people who made it. So I'm still in the back. It's not about me. I'm like chilling, eating sandwiches. And I'm like, yo, this is sick. Dude. <laughs> right? Like, like I'm having a lot of fun, but making it is being that artist in my mind. Yeah. And when I'm getting millions of streams, like frankly, last year, the Dylan Witherow project got 5,000 streams. And this year it got 20, 20 million. It got 16 million on the rap, but like currently we're sitting at like 23 million. Mm. Wow. And next year, my goal is more. But like, when I look at those numbers, I go, yeah, Achiever Brain. We're doing something good. This is great. My mom's going to be so proud. My dad finally (laughs) understands why I'm not a log truck driver. (laughs) But like, on the fridge internally, I'm like, man, this still feels like college. This doesn't feel like the thing. It feels like the thing because I can make stuff that I love with my friends. But when I make that folk record with Josh, man, I was like, this is the thing. And the thing is when you're truly expressing what you want to express. And that receives not just listens or money or accolades or television or MTV. It's when people resonate with it and they sing it back. They mm. come to your shows. They give a crap about who you are. That's when you're winning. And for me, that's making it. And so I haven't made it. So the, the goal is, how can I take all of these things where... <coughs> Bless you. <laughs> thank you. How can I take all of these things where I'm close to making it and like create the bridge? So yeah, when I release Zarina Frost stuff, there's a very specific hustle. I make music specifically for acoustic guitar playlists on Spotify. I'm like, dog, I like dig this acoustic guitar playlist. I'm just going to make like 60 songs this year that sound like that. <laughs> That's literally I what it. I do. Fizz Me and my roommate, like we're listening to Deep Folks and we're like, dog, this playlist is sick. Let's just like make a song like this and put it out. And then like we started getting editorial and we were like, ah! <laughs> and so like that, like the instrumental hustle as far as like my Zarina Frost project is very much like, yo, I already like love this. So like, let's just, I don't know, YOLO. The quarantine happened. We're bored. The Dylan Witherow thing is like very like I got into the scene at the label level, launch first song and probably the most respected label in, in the scene at the time. And so it's like I came in where I could hit up any of those collaborators and be like, yo, let's make something. And there was like a 50 percent chance that it would land. 
Mm. I didn't have a following for that. My following's like a bunch of dudes who are obsessed with pedals. So they were just like, <laughs> they're like, they're like, oh, sound design sick, dude. I love it when you play the pedal through the other pedal. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> yeah. like literally like I'll play on, I'll play like I played on MTV like two weeks ago. And like, I just had a bunch of people DM me being like, dog, like, uh, could you just like, what was your pedal board? And I'm like, who cares? It was a guitar and it sounded like a guitar through an amp. Like, I don't. Mm-hmm. Did you like the notes I played? Did you, did you like how I dude, felt? Nope. Honestly, Dear. in that circumstance, it was it was Sophia Carson. Did you like the note she sang? And the answer is yes, because she is good. <laughs> That's where I came from. So I was like, I've just got a bunch of freaking guitar nerds who I love, an army following me, but like they don't really care about this lo-fi thing. And so I had to like figure out what would be respectful of the genre, but also be me. And that's what that the year has been. And it's been working with people who are established and respected, but also people that I personally love and resonate with and now we're going to be lifelong friends because I, I also like i understand like networking if you're like dude i met this guy at a label or i met this law- music lawyer but like if i'm working with people my age like i just want to work with you for friends and i love what you do and if those things are not true or like you're not actively in a project mm-hmm. it's just hard for me to do because i might put a lot of energy into you and you may never put out the song mm-hmm. and so for me it's about like are you releasing are you like a homie and do I like deeply respect you musically? And if so, then like, let's please, let's make something. And, and I I've even said yes to so many projects that I just don't have time for right now. Like this year I've worked on 300 songs. Whoa. Jesus Christ. I started mastering this year. I started mastering this year and I mastered like 200 for my buddy's label. Oh God. Three, What is, how do you structure your day? I've seen Dude, that movie. So that's what I was saying. Okay, that's what I was trying to say earlier about yeah. like the 80-20 thing. It was no disrespect to people who are like structured, but like probably why I'm single is I'm like, I'm so unhealthy. I like, <laughs> I will do like a 16 hour day out of nowhere. And like this whole like, like producing for people sometimes. I basically promised myself after the Lizzie thing, I was like, I'm going to take a year off of this. And then like, I was just chilling with Louis Bay and I was like, oh, I don't, I don't like your production, but I like your song. Can we just fix it today? Like today. And then it turned into two like, 12 hour days of her just like chilling in this room and being like, Oh yeah, let's just track more stuff. And she's like good at a bunch of instruments. So we just like made it sick, but I don't structure my life. Well, Mm. I actually met with three different people who just sat me down and like tried to like help me organize my releases (laughs) for the next year for these different projects so that I could like prioritize them all and do what I need to do to make them work. Mm -hmm. And so that was when I was like, do I do ads? Do I do this? I've never done ads. So I'm I'm going to probably next year and I'm going to do some visuals on on, like Instagram. I don't know. Yeah, Facebook, Instagram. Um, Talk to me, bro. If you need any advice, if you need any, like, just somebody to bounce questions off of. Dog. I've done ads for Marriott and Google and other so companies, bro. So, like, I have some experience here. Sick. Thank you. Yeah, yeah I want to so, help you. Because basically, here's the thing. I feel like my projects are, like, cascading from, like, low risk to high risk. The acoustic guitar things, I can mix, record, master the track in, like, two hours. Just make it mm-hmm. up. Like, I've mm-hmm. never played it before. I grab my acoustic guitar. I'm like, wow, this is it. And then I like have a master track <laughs> in two hours. So I have before recorded seven songs that were two EPs worth of music in one day. And then I felt like I was strung out and like slept the next day. But I had it mastered. And then I like hit up the artist and I was like, dog, it just make me like, I don't know, a couple album covers. I'm working with an artist right now. He's doing like all of the acoustic guitar release album covers. He's dope. And he um, worked the angle as his Instagram. Anyways, shout out. He's dope. Shout out. Shout out. But basically he... um. I was just like, yeah, I just like make these. Can we do that? And those are low risk for me because I made them. They're free. The only thing I paid for was the art. And I'm just like putting it out. And I'm like, YOLO, if it gets 300 plays, I don't care. And one of them just got a million that I recorded in like five minutes. And it was like, dude, there's one that I recorded last year that was like 
me noodling. And then I was like, oh, I played a wrong note. So I cut it in half and literally took the same recording and master and made it into two songs. <laughs> one of them got 100,000 plays and one of them got like major editorial, got a million plays like last week. So you made two songs at the out same of one time. song. Yeah, but... I recorded a song, cut it in half because I played a wrong note, released them. They sound the same, but like different sections of the song. Whoa. And one got a hundred thousand, one got a million, and no one knows about this project, so I'm not like losing like friend cred. No one's like Dylan, I hate you for doing this. Yeah, <laughs> but you. But that you was should. just kind of an economical musical production decision that you made. Dude, that it actually was... got you, netted you a million more plays. Yeah, so like three grand well, or whatever, like uh, actual money. Rent. So can I can I actually ask you? So when you say you really mean that you did your homework on the genre. You went to the playlists of music that you liked. You listened to them. You were like, Hey, what if I made a song that would sound good on this playlist? You did that. You even broke down the structure of like, okay, it kind of builds in this way. Maybe yep. there's an A section, a B section, a bridge, mm-hmm. a C section. Bro, I did broke it down. That I broke scientific? it down to what microphone are they using? Ooh. Are you serious? I've been experimenting with microphones to get the right tone. I, the reason I took on that mastering gig was how do I record so that I sound like this? Bro, my engineering, again, like me as a producer, Dylan, I am like Sonic's insane person. It murders my heart if the sounds aren't right. <laughs> like, I don't, like, I feel like a lot of people want to be a producer. I'm like mm-hmm. a producer because I just hate it when things don't work. So you're <laughs> the one I need to send stems to, bro. There what we you, go. What you charge? <laughs> uh, dog. Nah, I know you. I'm, I know you. Let's just hang. But this is hang. Yeah, for sure. I want to. But the um, so that's so so. I never finished the thing about the manager because I'm so like all over the place. But basically, here's the thing yeah. with the manager. He wound up quitting music altogether. He had a, a tragedy in his family or something, and, mm, and he's sorry, a lovely yeah. human. Yeah, I was too. But also, like as a young person, I was like, "This is my moment," and then it wasn't my moment, and it really broke my heart. But he told he he sat me down and he gave me the paper he gives big businesses because he he helps restructure businesses. You write down what are your goals. Don't don't pull punches. What are your goals? Do you want to be a millionaire? Do you want to own a house in L.A.? Which means you have to be a millionaire, by the way. <laughs> which is to me a travesty, but we don't have to get into politics. Yeah, I mean, can we? we okay, anyway. we we do all the time here. That's how we get our, our, our <laughs> yeah. one stars. So. Yeah, I want to hear your thoughts. Anyway. But but like, do you want to do you want to have a song on the top forty, or do you want to have a song at the top of the biggest lo-fi playlist on Spotify, which I had yesterday? Hell how yeah, do you, how do you how do you? So then you take these goals, uh, like the Warren Buffett thing, right? What do I want in my life? And and you reverse engineer. How to get there. You look at people who have done it. You look at people who, as, as a singer-songwriter, who are other singer-songwriters I want to sound like? I sound like. How did they get an audience? Is that possible for me to do? Or was it circumstantial? Can I become Mateo Sassato? No, I'm not as good at guitar. And I don't have the crazy background that makes him so interesting. And, and he's like a brilliant, wonderful human. So like, I'm not going to be that unless that's the only thing I want. And I'm just too all over the place. So what are things I can do? And as I break down and I exclude goals, all of a sudden I'm like writing off the goals that I just am like, as an intelligent person and as an honest self-assessing person, there's no freaking way I can do this. Those ones, I just like, and I leave like a few of those. Like, do I want to be like a solo artist who has a following? Hell yeah. And if it can be huge, hell yeah. What are the things I can do to, to help get myself there? And so basically I just like find the other people that are doing the thing I want to do. I 
sometimes at this point befriend them and just beg them to teach me. Yeah. Or 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 you know what? Even even more than that, I just befriend them and don't do anything. I just like get to be friends with them and see how they live life and they become mentors without even knowing it. Like I, my like the sideman pop guitar thing. They're these two guys to me that are that are everything. It's it's Rod Castro and, and Izzy Fontaine and, and Rod is like plays with everyone, but he's also a good like family man, just had a kid. He's a beautiful, wonderful human in his heart and like how do you maintain that while you're playing guitar for literally Beyonce? <laughs> yeah. I don't yeah. know, dog. So, so I'm like talking to him and I'm like, how do we do this? And, and like, I found the music directors who like, I love like Drew Tappenfeld, Nick Rosen. These are people that I love. And like, when they call me for a gig, I'm like, dude, I want to spend time with you. So like, this isn't, this is no longer like me making it. I'm playing for a pop star. It's more like I get to make music with someone I love on someone else's dime. This is ensemble class and we're on a full ride. And like, let's go. Preach. So I take every goal in my life. So Danny, Ben, Sw- ben Swanger changed my life because I, I literally just took his business plan structure thing and I took it and I applied it to every aspect of my life. And I read this book called The Defining Decade when I moved to LA. And it's just about basically being intentional. Mm. with your time and what you do now, if it looks like it will add up, like Starbucks is probably not going to add up, but like if you're doing, but maybe you do that to pay for something else, then it's okay. But you have to be doing something with a large portion of your time that is going to accumulate. Do I have friends in the industry? If I'm like working at a label, do I, if I'm an artist, do I want to go intern at an art studio for minimum wage or take a slightly higher paying job at a restaurant? And the answer is like, do something in the industry you want to be in. Mm -hmm. And so that's what I've done. And like, I, I am in no ways, I'm like still like Dylan, who was 18 and was like, I already didn't make it. I'm already screwed. Is still like not happy. Mm-hmm. I'm not happy with myself. My, my goals are so much higher, but like mm-hmm. Dylan who's living today. I'm like, man, I can pay rent. I'm not in debt. My, my, my roommate is wonderful. My apartment is great. My neighbors here love me. My mom is like healthy and alive. And like, mm-hmm. I really want a dog and a yard. So how do I get a million <laughs> freaking dollars? Goals. I just want to... Dog in a yard, man. Pandemic. You hit on so many things that <laughs> Drew and I have been uh, blasting into our, our listeners' ears for like the year and a half. But you've been taking such like a, a well-structured like business mindset to your craft, and it's paying off. We've had Drew's homeowner, Winton Grant, did the very same thing with his real estate plays and all, all these other things he approaches in his music career to where he, he looked at what he wanted. I want a million dollars by the time I'm 30. And then he works back. And he executes on things that gets him to that point. He is on track. He already has the home ownership uh, taken he's care of. He's signing the lease today. Like, Dang, congrats. Property. Like yeah. he, he, yeah, so he's, he just makes yeah. plays and he goes out and he hits back to the, the word you first spoke about. He executes on his goals. And I just love hearing that. You, you've gone out, you looked in, you studied the genre, you figured out like, uh, if, if I want to you know, achieve this top 40 success or number one on a playlist like you have, uh, you went and learned how to go out and to put that into action. So it's <laughs> it's it's very smart and business wise. Something else you specifically alluded to um, that I myself have been approaching more recently with my own job. Well, I would have grind away at a a Starbucks if I could use that time elsewhere, like maybe make more money in the day job, so to speak. What does that money do? Does it allow me to take on more freebie projects that are a better investment? Yes. And so someone actually. I can't remember. It was just someone's name and the grant. Maybe it's, we'll just call it the Betty Betty Grant. And it was a new way to frame that day job. So many musicians are miserable at that day job. 
this is just taking away my time. I want to be doing my craft, but I go do this and I'm so tired. And they said it's it's part of it's a framing problem in that if you're treating that money like it's a grant to you, hey, I work this day job. That is the the Trevor grant. That gives me a couple thousand for me to go do something else or to reinvest in my career. That's like actionable money. It's not, oh God, I just need this just to survive or this this is a waste of my time. It's like, no, I, by doing this day job, it allows me to do so many other things uh, that I, that I want to do that will pay off in the long run to get to that goal in five years. So it's neat that, you know, like you're, you're also approaching it in like a, a very similar way. And that's something we'd encourage all of our guests is like, there's a lot of opportunities to set yourself up for success like you have. I also think just two, two quick points on, on the day job thing. The reason I felt like I hadn't make, made it at a young age is because when you're young, your parents cover your shit usually. And like mm-hmm. you have free time. And mm-hmm. as you get older, you have to survive. And especially when you're our age, like our parents start to get sick, man. Like you, you have to provide for yourself because mm-hmm. you can't take from them. There's no, it's not an option for me. If I ask my mom for money, she's going to give it to me. But then I look at the expense of that now that she's an adult, man. I'm like, that's coming from her retirement, man. Mm-hmm. If I'm like, hey, mom, I need $2,000 this week or I'm going to be homeless. She will make it happen. But it means that like maybe it'll be another year before she can retire sometimes. And like I can't take that from her. So I have to work. There is no, there is no other option than to work and make money. Ooh. And so in that way, you, you have to take that day job. You have to survive. And, and the, that is a human law, mm-hmm. you know? And like, sometimes people are like, nah, dog, I bought a van and I live in my van. And I'm like, that's fine. But like, you still got the money somewhere and you are yeah. deciding to de- defy it for now. But like, you still have to survive. You got to busk, you got to do something. The other half of it though, is that like, when you're picking your day job, when I taught guitar lessons, I had been working at a pizza joint, which I, I often forget. It's the only job I've ever had other than working for like my dad or playing music. Mm-hmm. And, um, Working at the pizza joint, I was like hella unhappy and I like sang a bunch and everyone was like, Dylan, shut up. And it was, just me. <laughs> it was me like these kind of like pervy, but like kind of awesome, like dude managers. And then like a bunch of cute women that they hit on all the time. And I was like very uncomfortable because I'm like not a broy dude. And mm-hmm. like, I like hate that kind of environment. And I was like, where this was is, this? It's called Papa Murphy's in Port Angeles. Bro, I've been to, I've been to a similar thing like that. Yeah, I don't, I don't dig the vibe. I'm pretty sure they hired me because they were like, yeah, we're going to get in trouble. And and I was just like in the back, like a nice boy. And I'm just like, this makes me uncomfortable. And so I like wound up like leaving and I was like, this sucks. I'm never getting a job. That's like this kind of thing again. And like this guy in my hometown was like, oh, we need guitar lesson teachers. And I was like, tight. And I, and oh, it, sick, bro. And it was basically like I was getting paid to learn and that has accumulated to so much. I met this guy who made these, I met this guy who made these guitars that I have that are like my favorite acoustics in the world. And I, and I do a lot of work with like Orangewood and I like love them and I love their stuff. But like this man is a woodworker, retired telephone worker, not a musician, like makes beautiful woodwork things, switched to guitars and hand built me like mm. four guitars. Uh, my ex has Whoa. two, just they're dope. She's, she's dope. I've got two. And then I have this ukulele and like, they're so beautiful and unique. And like, I have things like that that are still making it on records today because I worked at this like a uh, day job that was like, did not pay enough. I did not survive. I felt like I was strung out. I was going to college at the same time. Then I dropped out of college. Cause I was like, I kind of like working more than college and like my band's touring. And like, this feels more in line with that. And like when you pick your day job, 
you could like work at a library or something and like do your like school homework underneath or do like your scoring underneath, whatever. But like, if there's a way you can make your employer happy, but also make yourself feel like you're utilizing that time. That's great. Also, sometimes fine. I, I drive a log truck for my dad sometimes and it's like hella chill. And I'm just like, ah, I'm like a, big bro, <laughs> it's a good de-stress, right? Yeah. But then like after like two weeks or three weeks, I'm always like, this is slave labor. And then I like <laughs> quit on him again. I always quit on him. And he's always like, dog, like, I love you, Dylan. I just, I just want you to drive log trucks with me. And I'm like, I just can't do it. A, a good point. I, I even looking at back at my own career, I'm like incredibly fortunate that ever, ever since like your typical high school jobs or whatever, again, like working for the dad. Yeah. Everything I've done has been music related, but often the kind of quote unquote further it is, the, the it, music is from that job, the more I've enjoyed it and the more kind I've of, drawn yeah. from it. Like now what I'm doing is like management, spreadsheets, data for this music company. Oh God, like, don't, don't you wish you were like writing stuff? It's like, no, I've like, haven't enjoyed a job like this in such a long time. Uh, <laughs> and yeah. it's, and it's given me even more money. And I just, I just asked for more money. I was like, I want to do this. And like, I, I love the mission. And I think we, we all need a break from, from music to some degree. Uh, Absolutely. Like, so, so many like creators or, or whatever, like, you know, you go on a walk you know, take it out there. You get your inspiration from, from elsewhere. It's like, it can be crippling to be like constantly surrounded by music. If you're fortunate enough that your job, your day job can serve you with multiple purposes so that it's not just a money thing. Like what you said, if you can like utilize it better by either through the connections or it gives you downtime. The thing that really like stuck out to me, I've made this job really work for both is everyone who works there is musician. It's a music company, music education company. Yeah. But it compensates me enough to do other things. I argued for my time. I'm not full time, though I'm paid well. I was like, okay, like here's my 30 hour cap because I just need some more time to do other things. But That's cool. I just made the deal work for me and it checks off enough boxes that I can then go out and do all these other projects. And so it's just neat hearing someone else who's doing that. You've figured out your system between the four various branches and all these jobs and driving log trucks that making everything you do work for you towards your music career. I would also say that I think a lot of young people when they go to do music, they want to do music because it's recreational growing up. And I saw Andrew Huang post a thing about saying like music is better as a hobby. And I think that like to do music successfully as a career, you have to view it like a business. And you mm-hmm. and, and when you enter creative zone, you don't. You go like, I love making. I love being with my friends. I'm going to make this the coolest job on the planet because I have the coolest job on the planet. Mm-hmm. I'm going to like meet presidents. I'm going to like play for cool people. I'm going to get like sick dinners <laughs> at these crazy hotels because I played like some benefit charity thing or like uh-huh. these beautiful people flew me to Aspen and let me stay in their wonderful house and like private chef me some food. I was like, whoa, this is the coolest thing ever. Like <laughs> that is that is so cool. But also behind that is work. And like you get work like I'm going to practice, but like you also got to work like figure out how you translate that to money. And a lot of people get bummed out when that happens. And so I feel like a lot of musicians who aren't making it, it's because they still view it as a hobby. And if you don't in some way find a way to make it actionable, it becomes very hard. So then you're like, I've got this job that I hate. And it's like, dude, honestly, like as a human, you are tasked with work because no one is going to pay for you to live. Especially in America, this place is hard. Yeah. Capitalism. For us, none of us are from LA, right? No. So, like, we came here. I don't have family I can stay with. Nope. 
I don't have extra money to ask for people from because I'm not like, I don't have money, man. Nope. Mm. I didn't save up for this. I had $2,000 in a dream and I moved here and lived on a couch. Me too, bro. Except I'm not on a couch, but I feel that. Yeah. No, dude. And, and it's like, you don't know anyone. You don't have anything. You don't have a background. And then like you're in the highest rent city that isn't San Francisco on the West Coast. And you're just like, dude, this is screwed. Mm-hmm. how how do i like these people like beck's dad was a string arranger for celebrities like how <laughs> do i become that like that's impossible mm-hmm. and so like you you have to survive and, and and there's no shame in surviving there's no shame in having a job but like mm-hmm. also as a musician you have to take the mentality of you that's like i don't want to like spend all day framing houses but i'm going to because i got a construction job yeah. You have to take that and you have to apply it to the music when music isn't always fun. You have to be like, I have to learn this song for this wedding gig. And I like think the bride is really mean. <laughs> right. I think, I think, I think the groom's breath stinks. It doesn't matter. You got to just do your job. And like, not every gig is you playing an arena. And it, dude, I saw, I saw Sarah Bareilles a few years ago and there's this guitar solo in the middle of Brave. It made me cry. It changed my life. It changed the way I view the instrument as a whole. I met the guitar wow. player a few years later. He's friends with me now. His name's Rich Hinman. He's literally one of my heroes. And I told him about the day and I was like, man, you changed my life. That day changed everything for me. It changed the way I view guitar. You did things I'd never heard before. And to you, it's, it's just you. But like, to me, it was like salvation. And he was like, oh, dude, that day at that show, like, I distinctly remember four years later that it was distinctly bad for us emotionally backstage. Like some, something, was, something was going on. That day was like uniquely bad. So I remember it being so bad. And I'm like, dude, you changed my life. Like that story in and of itself is the personification of what it means to be a musician. Like on your worst day, you could be changing somebody's life. Yeah. And honestly, I've been so hypercritical of myself and like the things that I make because, you know, I spend most of my time, like you said, just like trying to survive in this really expensive city and trying to build up a financial statement to where, okay, I can pay off my student loans, but also I could one day take care of my mom. Like you said, you know, our parents aren't getting any younger. We chose to do music. So like this whole broke artist mentality just isn't compatible for the goals I have in my life. And it's really amazing to see that reflected in you. That's the thing that I want our audience to develop within their own lives being a classical string player and trying to start a music festival on your own dime means that you're either going to be really broke or you're going to have to supplicate to people who built a business and now have expendable income to invest in your projects. Yeah. But you could just build your own infrastructure and your own business on your own brand and your own music to where you could just fund your own projects one day. Yeah. And so I've, I just really, 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 I understand from your perspective that you don't feel like you've made it yet. I actually resonate with that being somebody who wears black and sits behind Josh Groban or Lindsey Sterling or somebody way more important than me while I play whole notes. It's soul crushing, but 
it's part of the job. And I, I can see you in real time developing this residual income and this nest egg that's going to be your financial future and your freedom in the future. You're, so I'm just trying to distill all of the lessons that I've learned from the sagacious wisdom that you've imparted on this podcast. It's this kind of, it, tell me if I'm wrong. Is it this kind of like borderline obsessive uh, nature to get the job done, to produce the content to the market in the way that the market wants to consume it? And also trying to balance that with, with trying to produce something that is inherently you. Yeah. What? How do you, how did you get there, bro? Because like, I'm so personally bogged down by the, the work of it, like the unfamiliarity of it. Like, is Dude, it just really just beating re- your head against, you know, the wall? <laughs> I released a lot of music that I loved that no one else loved. Mm-hmm. And I think that everyone does. And um, it's, it's really hard to see like, the Blackpink documentary is so I like fucking love about Blackpink so much. And I, and I saw this documentary. They worked, man. I'm so lazy. They spent 13, 13 days out of 14 working. And then they like in those days were 14 hour days. Then they had one day off. And I'm over here mad that someone didn't hand it to me. Like some businessman wasn't like, we wrote the songs for you. Let's dance and do it. I can't dance. <laughs> now I'm here. A smart, like I used to, okay. So when I was in that relationship, man, when I have kids, I'm going to give them these things. And then I was like, what the hell? I'm 20. Yeah. <laughs> I'm 22. I'm 24. I'm still a kid. Like, I'm not. I'm not. I'm an adult. And I'm a fully functional adult who can change my own destiny now. And, like, even if you have kids, even if you're in your, your late 30s, John Paul White from the Civil Wars, that guy was, like, in his thir- late 30s when he came out with records that changed my life. And some of that music is so inherent to who I am as a person when I play guitar that I can't undo that. It's so in me. And that guy, like he didn't make these records until way later than what I thought was making it as a young age. He just like had wisdom and he was ready to be like, this is what a record sounds like, man. Mm. And so when you, when you listen to those records, you're like, God, you're, you make me really sad because you (laughs) experience sad things. But, but like, I don't know. So, so I, I guess the, the way that I got here is I am a very obsessive person. Mm hmm. And if you're in my focus, you probably don't even want to talk to me anymore because I'm probably like sending you 30 texts in a row and I'm like just super <laughs> aggressive, literally. And, 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 and the second my attention shifts, you can tell because you're talking to me and it's like talking to a wall. Mm-hmm. And I feel like a lot of the successful people I know are like that. And the ones who are successful older in age are the ones who are able to channel that focus and schedule out their lives such that they're like working out in the morning. A lot of them are healthy. Mm-hmm. They work out in the morning. Then they like eat well, they have like everything like structured and then they're like, mm-hmm. I'm going to do these things now. And I just don't do that. I, I like get up in the morning and I've scheduled like collaborations with 10 guitar players for this record I'm making. I tell them I'm going to send them stems. And then like, I get so in my heart. I'm like, start dreading the projects. I'm like, ah, I'm not, I'm just like, I can't, I don't think I can do I it feel today. That. I Bro, feel it. Yes. So then I spend five days watching Lord of the Rings and everything. <laughs> I, I'm literally watching Lord of the Rings right now. I, I just took on the biggest production project I think I've ever taken on. And I'm like watching Lord of the Rings. And, and, That's and, a big production and, project though in itself. So like. Yeah, exactly. And I just watched every Miyazaki film. I watched every Studio Ghibli film in the last oh, month. Yeah. 
And I'm over here just like, oh, I really need to finish this record. It's going to change my life. Every song is going to get millions of streams. It's going to be artistically important. It's already been accepted to the label. All of my collaborators are just like genius, wonderful, beautiful humans that I just like love. And and I'm over here like, dude, Miyazaki's pretty sick. <laughs> <laughs> Don't know. So like, but when I'm there and I talk to my roommate, like getting this, get, this roommate, Billy, is, is so tight because we, we like talking in a... In the middle of us talking about anything in life, I just flip back. I start talking about playlists. I start talking about business. I start talking about music. I start talking about the, my dreams, who I want to be playing with. I talk about microphones. I talk about specific instruments that record better than other instruments. Mm-hmm. Uh, because in my core, I'm just obsessed with with things sounding not bad. And everything has sounded bad. And that's why I'm a <laughs> producer. I'm like a fixer. And, and, and like, I'm obsessed with like, getting ahead the reason the instagram thing happened first and i stopped is because i saw everyone else doing it and i was like dog i don't want to compete with people this is way too much but like i initially <laughs> was just like this is cool i see momentum mm-hmm. and and i saw that with tiktok and then i just like decided not to do it which is probably stupid but like <laughs> it's, i have a lot of friends that have like done very well and now i'm like producing songs for those friends instead of for myself uh, actually i am producing songs for myself and i'm not happy i love producing for my friends but like Yes. But like, I'm also producing for them, knowing they have an audience that they found through that. And I'm over here just like, dude, microphones are sick. <laughs> and Can I ask you that question? Um, do you work with uh, acoustic string instruments other than guitars, like like bowed string instruments? I recorded a cello last night. You recorded a cello? What kind of microphone do you really, that makes the cello speak, or maybe the viola speak in a way that uh, is unique? So this is hard because I'm not a cellist, so I don't experiment with it all day like I do Got with it. guitar. But mm-hmm. this is the really screwed thing. Mics are the same. Rooms are the same. Instruments are, are the same. But instruments are the diff- are different every day. You're different every day. And the room, the air, is different every day. So I might record my guitar with like two AEA M22s and Blumline uh, and be like, dang, this is special. Mm-hmm. And then the next day I might be like, on a different track, I try that and I'm like, ah, and I try the N8, which is another one of those ribbon mics, right? And, and and then like the next day, I might be like, dude, this is hot trash. I was just talking to Drew Tabenfeld about um, Mike Tech C5. So then I grabbed him from from Josh and I tried those on like acoustic. I have, and I was like, this sounds very commercial. It sounds very nice. <laughs> <laughs> right? And, and then nice. I did. And so part of the advantage of recording so much, really the Zarina Frost project is me experimenting with how do I make an acoustic guitar sound, how it sounds in my head. And then I like listened back to this last batch of masters for the release for next year. And I was like, dude, like these are definitely better than last year's releases. I don't know if they're as happy as like my dream is. So for cello, like what we did is we did, um, we did a C5 and an N8 next to each other. I feel like Mm -hmm. the diaphragm size difference is going to be a problem. So I may just wind up using one of them straight, straight up. And I recorded uh, my friend, Jonathan, playing upright on India's track once. And that was with an N8. I feel like um, it's more of, you have to have a sense of what you want it to sound like. You have to know if your instrument sounds like that in the real world. Because chances are it doesn't. It sounds different. (laughs) Mm -hmm. You have to know what your instrument actually sounds like. And then you have to try to capture it in a way that you want to capture it like. And you have to just know what a few mics sound like. And and basically I just screw around it and I experiment. This is why when people ask me for tips on that, they're like, like, when my friend shows me a track and goes, I, I don't really like this. What should I do? I go, I literally have no feedback. I don't know. But if you don't like it, you should throw it in the trash and restart and listen to every single piece as you put it in. And make sure it sounds exactly how you want it to sound. Mm-hmm. And that way you love it when it's just your voice. You Good love it when it's just your voice and acoustic guitar. You love it when it's just your voice, acoustic guitar and piano, just acoustic guitar, piano, vocals, and then like 
a little spaceship effects of like pianos that you're messing with. And then it's that plus cello. And then it's that plus harmonies. Mm. And as you love every single stack, that's when you know that it's going to be good because you have paid attention to everything. I'm like so impatient, but in music, I'm not. And you just, you just, every detail matters. And, and, and beyond the instrument and the mic, dude, you got to know how to play. And like, you don't have to be able to play like classical play or, or jazz play or performance or pop play. So many pop guitar players who I deeply respect don't record as well as, as other people I deeply respect because there's a difference. Something Drew and I talk about a lot. When you're playing, you're playing to the back of the room. You're playing to the mm-hmm. back of the arena. You've got to play like you're 10 feet tall, right? When you're recording, if you're playing like you're 10 feet tall, you're probably harshing out your instrument. And it sounds like shit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You got, you got to like listen. And so that's what that's that's all I have to say about recording. You have to learn to listen. Sick mics are great. This one behind me, the Copperhead, I used it. Oop, that hand. <laughs> uh, Telefunken Copperhead, I used it on some some vocals in the last few days, and like it was great. But you know what was actually great? What was great? Loive's voice. <laughs> <laughs> like, girl knows how to sing. Yes. Bro, so, I, I wanted to, I'm, I'm pretty much, whew, I'm so blown away by all the value you've given this episode. That was phenomenal. I, I wanted to ask one more question because selfishly I'm trying to figure out this artist thing. Uh, and I, r- roommate Winton, my, my boy, yeah. uh, is, is branching off. Um, and this is something that you said a little earlier in the conversation. Winton's branching off to having two different entities, one where it's his acoustic string music without voice. And the other one is going to be his music that he raps and sings and, and produces uh, as, as a performing artist. And I was thinking of doing the same thing. Uh, I heard that you said you have another artist entity that does just your acoustic. So is that like a good plan to actually maybe have two different brands that serve two different audiences? I'll explain why I did it. Okay. It's business brain. It's um, selfish Dylan, who's a narcissist. I want to <laughs> release all of this and I want you all to know about my beautiful acoustic guitar songs. And I want you to know about my lo-fi hip hop. And I want you to know about my singing. I want you to know that I produced for Lizzie. I want you to know that I played for Louis Tomlinson. And I want you to know also on top of that, that uh, I'm in a sick band and it's and it's beautiful and I sing and we produce and we have crazy sound effects and it's probably the best production I've ever done. I want you to know all of that. But when you look at me, you look at my Instagram, you're going to get like one takeaway. No one's going to be like, this guy does a lot of stuff. They're just going <laughs> to, and on top of that, I didn't even list that I master, right? And, and so we're looking at this huge list of stuff that I regularly do, mm-hmm. right? And, and I'm like over here, like narcissist Dylan trying to shove it down everyone's throats. But the truth is like, people are going to, especially if they're listening to a song, they're just going to listen to it and be like, I like this or I don't. And I'm going to listen to it in the easiest way possible. So I'm either going to see it on an Instagram from somebody that I follow, or I'm going to like see it on a playlist or I'm going to find it, but I'm not going to like try to find your song. I don't have to try to find your song. I have music. It exists. It's good. There's so many songs uploaded to Spotify every day. Music is becoming worth less and less and less. Every My royalty day. checks are like even lower than I expected them to be. And I was like, I'm going to be rich. Well, I'm not rich, but at least I can pay my rent. You know, like that's, yeah. that's literally like the many emotions of, of business done this year. So separating them was this. All of a sudden, my top 10 songs on Spotify have over a million plays. They're all lo-fi. So when you look up Dylan Witherow, what do you think I am? A lo-fi artist. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. But when you see me on, spot, on, on Instagram, you might see me posting about Lizzie. So when you look up Dylan Witherow, you think I'm a shred guitar player and producer. You might even think that I play for people. 
but you aren't going to see the lo-fi hardly uh, just because it's like the content is audio, right? And, and now I'm starting this singing project because who I am to myself is that, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm going to jump through all those hoops and start over from zero and be okay with the Witherow project having 20 plays because it has to, it has to be in a different place because I, it will never make it in my top 10 on Spotify. Mm-hmm. No, just, it just won't. Like I also slated another 20 songs that will get millions of plays next year. There's literally no way one of my singing songs will just like stay up there. I'm just, mm-hmm. I'm so blessed with, with some sort of movement elsewhere that no, like starting baby movements, baby steps, which are so important not to quit when you have baby steps. Everyone's like, I did it for years and then I got momentum. Like you can't be mad because you didn't blow up with your first song. That happens, mm-hmm. but it's not going to happen to you. And it's not going to happen to me. And and when it happens, we're like, and it happens to your friends. You're like, dude, yeah. I love you. Thank like, I'm so not thank you. I'm so proud of you. And I'm not going to capitalize on your success. I'm just going to like high five you, let you live your life, give you a hug when I see you. And if you need me, I'm here. You know I'm here. I'm not going to try to take advantage of your success, but I'm going to continue to make my baby steps. And so basically it's that. So I separated them because there's no way the Glassell project or the Witherow project, even though they're like what my heart is, mm-hmm. are going to do as well as this instrumental stuff, which I'm also super proud of. That's more of me being like, yeah, I like did something that's sick. Mm-hmm. And it's just a, a different part of my brain. Mm-hmm. And so I separated the names because on Spotify, also because of Spotify. Um, yeah. Everyone's been complaining about Spotify lately. Uh, What's you the know complaint? What? Everyone says they don't pay enough, which is true. Yeah. We all agree. It's 0. 0.0038 cents. Yeah, I mean, my last royalty check made it 3-1, so. What? I just did some math. They went down? Well, it's based off of free users and non-free users and and Spotify share. And we can talk about stream share and how all of that pays. Joe Rogan? Do you think the Joe Rogan shift affected overall the market? I don't know what that was. What is that? Do you know Joe Joe Rogan? I know who he is, um, the podcast, right? Do you not know who Joe Rogan is? I, like, kind of know who he is. So he has the big, he's probably the most successful podcaster on the planet. He just signed an exclusivity deal with Spotify that just went into effect like one or two weeks ago. And this is a hundred million dollar deal at least that they paid him for exclusivity on Spotify. And they did this as an onboarding play to get more users of Spotify and to take market share away from uh, Apple Podcasts, which is their direct competitor when it comes to audio. The yeah. audio market. So what I'm thinking is because of the huge influx of users and possible free new users who came from Apple to Spotify from this Joe Rogan move, that may have diluted the market and reduced the amount uh, per share of well, plays. That may be could also be saying. could also be that a lot of people are listening to more music. Yeah, like if if the same amount of money comes into Spotify and everyone listens to more and they're more free users, it's both, right? Mm-hmm. we're listening to more music now than ever but paying the same 10 bucks then like there's no way my share is going to get bigger but like i don't i don't care about how spotify breaks down their money i think 
we need a union to fight them to be mm-hmm. like, yo dogs, we love you. Thank you for giving us a platform. But like, could you please pay us? Like we're humans. Like what the fuck dude? Like a million plays and you get like a couple thousand dollars. Dude, what dude, is that? So like, let's assume I didn't release music on a label, which I did. Let's assume I didn't have collaborators. 16 million plays, right? Let's just say that I'm like one of the more successful artists on Spotify of, of everyone you know, right? Mm-hmm. Let's multiply that times like 3,000 per stream, right? You're looking at um, so whatever 16 times 3,000 is, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So like if I'm the most successful Spotify musician you know, that's like $45,000, 48000 So we're making less than a teacher. It's 48, 48. So, yeah. and that's assuming I didn't split it with labels and collaborators, which I did. And I love those people and I'm so grateful for these opportunities. So I, I'm, but I'm not, the goal has to be higher mm-hmm. because I want to live. I don't want to like continue to trash Spotify though, because this is the other half. And this is really important. I think this is the important thing that I have to say about this entire Spotify tirade that we all agree, please pay us more. We're humans. The other half is this. And the reason we don't get paid more, by the way, is because we don't unionize successfully in the same mm-hmm. way the log truckers didn't. And that's why they don't get paid well versus dump truck drivers who get paid a lot. This is like, we just did not band together and go, hi. We're going to pass laws in the United States that make sure you pay us. Like radio pays the writer a set amount because they passed laws. They have to. Spotify will never pay us more unless they have to. Mm-hmm. And I'm not mad at them for that because if I was a business owner and I had to pay for my homies who are working for me and I'm going to provide them with health care, going to give them a good job to get a house, I'm absolutely going to do everything I can to provide for the people that are working for me because mm-hmm. I want them to live. Mm-hmm. So, so I'm not going to be mad in an angry personally way, I'm just going to be like mad at the system and be like, how can we create systemic change here? How can we make it so that artists are paid? Socialism. That's one way. (laughs) (laughs) That is one way. Uh, Another way in our current system is to pass a law. Mm -hmm. So we just get people, we vote for Congress members and we tell them, yo, streaming is fucked. (laughs) But, But I don't want to shit on Spotify anymore because Spotify is my salvation. In another way, because Spotify is the only, like, dude, everyone's switching to title. Do you want, okay, so my Zarya Nefrost project. To, talk to I'm, me. Talk I'm going to give you how much money I've made this year off of that project. Let's hear it. I made, I made $5,700. What? That's it? Well, the Zarya Nefrost project, not, not the Dylan Mother one. We're talking uh, okay, my, okay, my side okay. of acoustic okay, yeah, one. Yeah, my bad. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Let's continue with this breakdown. How much do you think I made off of title when everyone's saying like they switched to title? Like like in brand deals or like just from your cash streams, cash per streams. Yeah, yeah. I'm saying I got three million streams on the Zarina Frost project. How many do on you think? Title? No, no, just on on in streams. How many mm-hmm. do you think? How many streams? Like how much money do you think I got from title? There's no know. wrong answer. Just just guess. For how you're 10, presenting 000. it, I'm saying fifty bucks. <laughs> one one dollar. One dollar. <laughs> Because Spot because Title first of all is not transparent with their artists app and Spotify and Title also you don't know how much so like yeah maybe they pay more for stream but they don't have a platform that is user friendly for exploring I'm not making a user playlist that you are listening to you know what I mean one dollar one dollar because I didn't get any streams there because it's not a social media and Spotify is a social media and they have built in that they are trying to help artists find an audience. They want them to have an audience. They are already paying out money to artists. You just have to exist and go, I exist. 
I made something that I think you'll like. Half the time they won't listen to it. Okay, 98% of the time they won't listen to it. But if they listen to it and they go, I fuck with this, they're going to put it on a big playlist. Then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, you've got side income. So you're working your, your job. You're working at Starbucks or whatever, right? But then all of a sudden you're making money on the side so you can work less at Starbucks and keep working more on your art. And maybe it's maybe you're off the playlist in a month, but then you got a month of blessing. You got all this money and you know where it came from? It did not come from your own fame and it did not come from streaming per, like pay per stream. It literally came from Spotify being the only user-friendly app. It's the only app that is like, yo, I'm going to help artists find their audience. Not, and I'm going to help users find artists they dig. And if you're into folk, I'm really sorry. You're probably only going to listen to folk forever because I'm going to teach you every folk artist that exists that I can without diluting these playlists so they lose plays. I'm going to keep putting independent artists on there. There's no reason I should be on New Music Friday Classical. And I've been on it twice as an acoustic guitar player next wow. to my favorite pianist in the world. And I'm like, dog, I recorded this in my friend Sam Blakelock's apartment <laughs> with the fan running while we were facing each other with masks on because we were terrified we were going to die of COVID. And like, I recorded this, I just like mixed it, mastered it, submitted it. And it got on like classical new releases, which is basically new music Friday for classical. Why am I on that? I didn't, you know, you, you guys went to Juilliard. Who am I? And they're just like, dog, this was great. It's because I don't release music, bro, because I'm afraid <laughs> of what the classical heads will think of me. So here's the, so here's the other half. Yeah. Mm-hmm. If you look at the releases, why did I do 47 on Zarina Frost? First of all, I was mm-hmm. testing the social media that is Spotify. Mm-hmm. I was figuring out like what, if I have a playlist and I put some of my homies on it, they have playlists and we like help each other. That's cool. But what, how do I crack editorials? How do I find a real audience? How do I get people to like this music? Right. Mm-hmm. I'm still working on that journey. But like when we're doing that, dude, you don't post once on Instagram and become a Kardashian. You don't post once on TikTok and become Charlie D'Amelio. You don't post a hundred times and become her. Mm-mm. You post every day and you like have flops and you learn from those flops or you don't and you're confused so then you have another flop and you're still confused <laughs> but you try to learn from it why are so you like, talking about my early youtube yeah. channel bro you dog you, so you guys get it because you guys yeah. have grown things it's the grind so that's yeah. the thing about your music your first song is not going to be your best song Mm-mm. you should be worried if your first song goes super viral because you're probably not going to follow it up you should be like, dog, I am taking this as a blessing that I am a small artist and I'm going to release as many songs as I can. Every artist that I know that's crushing it, Lizzie McAlpine, man, the mm-hmm. reason she's blown up, she like finished that record and she was like, dog, your track's going to be the title track. And I was like, I love you. Thank you so much. And then she was like, <laughs> yeah, I actually have another EP and another record I'm already working on. Yeah. Why did she get big? Because she worked really hard and mm-hmm. very intentionally. She mm-hmm. always posts videos of her singing and especially a lot of her own music. So when she's releasing solo music, no one's like, oh, Lizzie's that YouTube cover girl. They're like, dog, Lizzie just like posts her originals. And then I thought it was sick. So I followed her and now she's like an artist. Yeah. And then like <laughs> you've cross platform success. You have to create success as, as some sort of face. Like you guys have, especially the, the, um, just, just your many, your, your platforms that you're working on drew. It's wonderful. That's like cool execution. So then like, it's okay if the music is small for a while or forever. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like even Andrew Huang, like I look at that guy and I'm like, man, I do too. Who is a more potent music ma- music maker? I don't know. No one. Maybe maybe Jacob Collier, but that's the list, right? So like yeah. these guys, <laughs> that's the list. Are prolific. They make so much shit, and like, dog, he he doesn't have that many Spotify streams for how much he does, mm-hmm. but he still does it because that's what you do. You and just he's put it got out. Two point two million subscribers, so he actually takes an education an educational role in Absolutely. the music community. Like that's where he puts a lot of his energy as well. Absolutely, in his video creation. And, and that's I also, 
Absolutely. And I think that that's one of those things that you're saying, I just ran with what I was given. Like, I think mm-hmm. everyone wants to be Justin Bieber at some point in their life. Uh, <laughs> I, I'm just if you're a single dude, man, dang. I've seen his new place. Yeah. I, could, I could go for that, but. <laughs> yeah, like, I, I feel like every every musical artist wishes for some level of rock star success. Mm-hmm. And I think that instead of worrying about how somebody else has done it, like, so this is the opposite advice. It's like, learn from the people that you're trying to be like in a, in a statistic, uh, I can't English, but learn from the people that you um, just have strategy, right? So have mm-hmm. strategy. Mm-hmm. But on the other side of it, like if you just out of left field, get a feature on a song and it gets 800,000 plays and your name's on it and you didn't get paid like a session musician, you're an artist on it, run with it. And if it's in a genre you're uncomfortable with, don't like fake the genre, learn it. Go home, listen to every single thing you can. Listen to those people's influences. Call those people, meet them, get their influences. Listen to those people. Be open, understand the culture it came from. In the middle of Black Lives Matter, I'm releasing lo-fi hip-hop music. Where should my heart be? Who should I be supporting? Mm -hmm. You know, Mm -hmm. like I come from like all these like traditional white folk music things and people will say like there's traditional folk music that came from indigenous people or, or, or from Africa. But also like a lot of the music is straight up just like Celtic shit. But then I'm like taking this and I'm going into hip hop. Like, where did that come from? That came from American black people. Mm-hmm. And so like, I can't like put out that music and, and ignore its roots. So, so my job is now not only musically to understand it so that I can have a job. It's not only to musically understand the roots so that I can be a potent creator and a better musician and a better human. It's also to culturally and politically support the things that are supporting where that music came from. It's respecting the whole culture. It's not being like, oh, dog, let's, let's play this. What's up? <laughs> <laughs> it's, like, it's like, how can I be a, a, an aware human? Mm-hmm. And like, especially someone from a small town. It really does seem like some of the main like takeaways from you is what you opened with. The idea of like execution and strategy. You've looked out all of these various branches and you've planned for it. And you adapt that plan. The North Star is still there, but how you get to it, that's where we need to be flexible. You've isolated these four branches and there will be more branches. There will be some more focused. But it seems like for you, it's understanding what those branches mean to you and understanding that they're not always going to be even. If if branch two takes off producing for artists, you know yourself, you know, you're, you're fucking following that. Uh, to its its next conclusion because you don't know when branch two is going to weave back into branch three bring that along for mm-hmm. the journey yeah. and so the next thing you know you've got this like winding sprawling tree but the main thing is that you're feeding all these branches following which ones growing out there and you're just really executing on your plan that's why you're able to support yourself with music and like that's why you're succeeding and will continue to succeed i mean is there any other final tidbits about like how to go out and execute or how to take that next step yeah i think there are two givens that i haven't addressed fully and um one of them is every time you show up you're prepared and if you aren't because it's something you're new to you show up open and willing to receive criticism without ego with a good attitude and grateful for being there and the other one is you got to be good to people you got to love people. I don't need another like dirt bag in the industry being a jerk. <laughs> and I don't need another social climber who's just my friend to try to get on a track. And I don't need to be that. And I don't want to be that. I don't want to have success built off of screwing my friends over. What you have to do or what I want, what I would hope that everyone would do. Bring their friends up with them. 
be good to their friends. I mean, like do what you have to, like you, you can't get every homie on every single track you do, or it's going to be like a full orchestra. And like, they're going to be like 40 guitars if you're me, except for <laughs> guitar friends. but like when you can help people do, and, and, and when you can be good and kind and loving to people do that too. I went home for a hundred days during, during the pandemic. And I just like national parked it up with my hometown friends. There's like not a lot of cases there. So I just picked my like six people. Mm-hmm. We were just like worked out together every single day. And we were basically like, those are those, that's my tribe. Those are the only people I saw. It's like straight up outdoor movie nights, hiking, all these things. Like, and I realized like a lot of musicians are ambitious. A lot of LA people are ambitious to a fault and they stop loving people and they stop loving themselves. They only care about status. They're like groupies to their own scene. And like, dude, the only thing that matters and the only thing that really lasts is when you are honest, loving, you know, when not to talk, because sometimes it's not about you. Sometimes you are backing up someone who's amazing. And like, honestly, people like Sophia, she earned that, man. She worked so hard with a specific thing. And I'm so lucky to be on that ride. So like when she's talking, I'm listening. I'm, she hired me and she's blessing me with her platform. Now I get to be on MTV today. I get to be on, on a jingle ball with iHeart. Mm-hmm. So like when I'm there, I listen to her. This is not mm-hmm. about me. I don't care if it goes over. I don't care if someone's being really mean. I don't care if the catering guy like dropped my food and I don't get to eat very much for lunch. I'm not here for me. This is not my show. And even if it was, those people are humans. You have to be good to people and show up prepared. Damn, I hope everyone makes it to the end of this episode. Uh, no, dude, you just got to put that at the beginning. <laughs> oh, I mean, I already, I already made a note. That's going to go in the intro, but it really does. Um, like you, you gotta, you gotta love the work and like work on love. So, um, keep, Ooh. keep this going, bro. Um, that's it. Let's get t-shirts. Let's go. Okay. <laughs> Mer- merchandising. Trevor, Trevor, Trevor put that on a t-shirt, but it, it's Trevor. so true. I mean, like what a beautiful way to put like a, a bow on this and something that's just like long lost and forgotten, uh, is, really the value of love i do this we drew and i do this podcast because we love each other yeah like like it's 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 the only reason you know we do all these hours free you love who you work with and i think whenever at least me personally like when something hasn't worked out or i don't enjoy a project it's because i've either forgotten that i need to love it or you know the ego ego trips in and every moment something is brought back towards like gratefulness and just the reminder that like every opportunity everything i've ever enjoyed it was because i like learned from it and was like open to learn from it or was open to like share something uh with with someone else and so yeah. like thank thank you for this this has been just an incredible conversation and we got to bring you back bro. you'll be back we got to bring we'll you back. back this isn't the end yeah we love you, you so now you're you're part of this <laughs> part of the faking fam bro love well, and appreciate you guys <laughs> We want to open the floor to you to spotlight something that you want to like put a little bit of energy on or educate our audience about that you're doing. Is there something that you're trying to build right now? I mean, uh, I mean, I have my Instagram, which is at D-I-L-L-A-N-W-I-T-H-E-R-O-W. If you want to follow kind of, but I don't even post that much anymore. Honestly, like I'm going to be releasing that Glass Cell record this next year. It's like, Super dramatic folk music that I'm super proud of, and so, uh, so should people go and follow you on Spotify? Is that is that they should follow you're... me on Spotify if they want more lo-fi music, but they should mm-hmm. follow me on Instagram, I guess, if they want to see what I'm I'm most excited about coming up. I think it's a good place where I wrap up. Sometimes I'll post about things I'm playing on that I'm excited about, or I'll post about homies tracks who I, I had the honor and privilege of playing, uh, producing, mm-hmm. that are coming out, and then like 
frankly, as as um, the Glassell and Withera projects come out, that'll be my main focus on Instagram. Um, aside from the record that Before Sunrise, which is dropping in April, but that'll just be out in April if you follow me on Spotify. And there's going to be like 10 tracks before then, just random things. Well, to your point, bro, when you said like uh, it, you don't like people that like try to socially climb or people who are too ambitious, bro. What we're trying to do here, the Faking Nose podcast, is to create a network of musicians who are all hustling and grinding. And we want to have a platform where they can really uh, share their art to an audience that is really thirsting for that art. So uh, feel free if you're ever, if you're dropping that project, you want to get some more, uh, some more uh, power behind it, come back and talk about it. We'd love to to dive into that with you. Thanks. This has been so much fun. Thanks again. I'm pumped to hear this too. So (laughs) I'm a fan. That's it. Thank you.